0: will take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, although I know this story appears, it's really indicative of probably after the Bethlehem experience of Jesus being born, it's absolutely one of my favorite passages in the Bible uh, on our, uh, the birth of Jesus, and uh, uh, today I've entitled it The Call of Christmas. This is the first in our series of messages, uh, which will be three this year. Let's stand together and get our scripture in front of us, if possible. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this... He was deeply disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. That is the prophet Micah. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will, be, who will shepherd my people "'Israel, then Herod secretly summons the wise men "'and asks them the exact time the star appeared. "'He sent them to Bethlehem and said, "'Go and search carefully for the child. "'When you find him, report back to me "'so that I too can go and worship him.' "'After hearing the king, they went on their way. "'And there it was, the star they had seen in the east.' it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the young child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, They returned to their own country by another route. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you to look down on us this morning. And I pray that you will look down on us and deliver to us the message that we need to hear. I pray that you'll begin with me. I pray that you will speak to us words of truth. And yet words of convicting power. And I pray that we will hear your call on our life even today in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Telephones have changed our lives. (laughs) Yes, I left my iPhone on my desk, all right? I didn't want it going off. Telephones have changed our lives and because we have so many types of phones. We have iPhones. We have Windows phones. We have smartphones. We have actually telephones. I actually saw one plugged into the wall the other day. Imagine that. We have wireless phones and we have all kinds of phones, satellite phones. When I think about the phones and the calls, I'm reminded of the story. It happened in a small southern community. I didn't do that on purpose. a small southern community. Where the um, police department, Brother Mike, is one officer on duty at a time, and he normally stays at city hall so he can answer the emergency calls and then goes out on them. But also, as he answers the calls at city hall, he also there's a fire phone over there for the fire department. So one Saturday morning, the story goes that the fire that the police chief was in the city hall and the phone rang. It was the fire phone. He picked it up and said, "Fire department." And the only, on the other end was a very distressed lady who said, there's a fire, send a truck. And she slammed the phone down. And he thought, what am I to do? Because he didn't want to put out the alert and call the guys till he knew what he, that was going on. So four or five minutes later, as you can imagine, the phone rang again. He picks it up and goes, fire department. She says, same voice, there's a fire, send a truck. Slams the phone down. And so he's thinking somebody's life could be in danger. So he steps outside of City Hall and looks around to see if he can find any smoke billowing, so he can call the uh, the men to go out and, and extinguish the blaze. And he also gets a plan. So he goes back in. About the time he walks in, the phone rings again. And instead of saying "Fire Department," he picks up the phone and he says, "Where's the fire?" And the voice on the other end goes, "In the kitchen." There are all kind of calls. Deborah and I were in a, a Christmas show on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, in the Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum, about eight to ten people there at that Christmas show, and we thought this was funny. We were, the, the, the show was over, we were all headed to the cars, and all of a sudden across this gigantic loudspeaker system, a voice comes and it says, um, This announcement is for Jimmy Smith. If you would like to leave with that group you came with, meet at the southwest entrance now. (laughs) And uh, Deborah and I decided we were going to leave before we found somebody hitchhiking because it sounded like he was about to get left. But you know about calls. You get good calls. You get bad calls. You make 911 calls. You make calls. uh, uh, um, I mean, maybe you get a call to come home like many of us have experienced, and it's not a good call because a family member is sick. Maybe we're in a war and there's a call from the draft board to go serve your country. There are all kind of calls. But the greatest call and the most consistent call is the call from God. The Bible is replete with calls from God. I can give you three or four just. Abraham. Voice came to him and God came to him and said, I want you to go out of there, out of the. Earth where you're living, and I want you to go to the place that I'll show you. Moses on the backside of Midian. God said, Moses, I no longer want you to herd sheep. I want you to go back and stand down. Pharaoh and release my pe- and get my people released. I remember a call to Paul when he was called Saul of Tarsus. It was a call of salvation. Very dramatic. I remember Acts chapter ten, the call to Peter that it was okay to give the gospel to the Gentiles. The calls go on and on. But as I look in this text today, I hope you'll keep your Bibles open. As I look in this text today, I have often wondered why these wise men did what they did. Now, first of all, we guys, that'd be Brother Johnny and I and Bob and Mike and some of these other guys who have done, Wendell, who have done Christmas programs and pageants. How many wise men are they? three. We three men of Orient art. Well, we really don't know that there's three. That's been a musical aberration, okay? And I think it only played off because they named three gifts. Gold, Francis, and mirth We don't know how many came. We just know they came. Now, I suggest to you, I submit to you that they had studied the prophets, that they had prayed, they had sought God, but I want to tell you, before they left on a trip that would take two years out of their life, I submit to you, that they felt a call from God to go find His promised one, to go find His fulfilled prophecy, to go in their own way, become closer to God by following Him to the place that He called them. And that brings us today to my call to you, to my message to you from His Word, that Christmas calls us, God calls us. And if you flip on the back of your bulletin, I'll suggest you three ways that he calls us and and three calls that he gives to us. First of all, there is and I think we find this from I think we find this from our text. There is the call to be determined. The call to be determined. I want you to think about these guys. They were determined. They had studied, they had prayed, they had And now they were taking 18 months to two years out of their life to go find the promised one. They were determined. In fact, you look here, they came unexpectedly. They came from the east. And they were asking questions. You see, they had studied the scriptures. They knew what the scripture said. So they loaded up and they went on a journey. I'll tell you that determination is good when it's properly focused. When we're determined to do the right things, they were determined to find God's gift. They were determined to find God's promise. They were determined to find the fulfillment of God's prophecy. And they came. When I think of the Bible, and I think of all the characters in the Bible, I'm reminded of Daniel. He was determined. To be faithful in prayer, it didn't matter what the king says; he was faithful in pr- he was going to be faithful in prayer. Got him thrown in the lion's den. I'm reminded of the three Hebrew boys whom we lovingly call Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I love their statement of faith and how determined they were to follow God. They said, "Look, King, our Lord is able to save us, but listen." if he chooses not to save us this matter is already settled we will not serve you we will serve him you see the call of christmas is to be determined like to be determined like that to be determined to follow our lord to be determined to find his promise to be determined to discover everything that he has for us think about this the wise men came to jerusalem They had seen a star. When they got to Jerusalem, it seems that they ran into some kind of roadblock. Now, there's debate about whether the star disappeared or whether they just lost their bearings or maybe Jesus was in Jerusalem. Maybe they had come to visit Jerusalem and went back to Bethel. I mean, there's just all kind of... You read enough, you'll find just about anything. But here's what I'll tell you. For some reason, when they got to Jerusalem, they kind of lost their way. And so they went in and they asked questions. They didn't see this roadblock. They didn't see this stoppage as a blockage. They saw it as an opportunity, and so they were so determined, they went and they asked questions. Now, folks, I just want to pose a question to us at the beginning of December. Every time we're trying to follow God, we think we're determined to follow God, and that first roadblock comes up, what do we do? Do we decide, well, God must not be in that because there's some struggle along the way? Whoever said that the Christian life and following God is not going to involve struggle? These guys were determined enough is that they asked the right questions, they listened to the right counsel, and then they got back on, out on the road because there was nothing more important to them than finding what God had for them. What's most important for you? What's most important for you? What's most important for you? Is it finding what God wants you to do? The call is to be determined. The second call I see here, you're going to love this, is to be delighted. Delighted. Now, before you think I've lost my marbles, which may be another subject, this out. you see the, the truth is, until we are determined to follow God, we will never be delighted with what God gives us our lord Our Lord gives us things, and sometimes and sometimes we really don't care. These guys were excited because when they left Jerusalem. When they left Jerusalem, God showed himself again. They went, to that, they went to that blockage. They asked the questions. They stayed determined to walk through. They didn't turn and go home. They didn't say, well, this is as far as God led us. Now, we've, now we have uh, experienced a little bit of struggle, so we're going to turn, tail, and run. They said, okay, God has put this in our pathway, so now we're going to find what he wants us to do next, and then we're going to go on. And how did God reward them? He rewarded them by guiding them. That's what they were delighted about. They were delighted in God's guidance. They were delighted in God's guidance. Now, where do you get that, Brother Jerry? We'll look in verse 10. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Wow. They were overjoyed. Now, King, King James tells us, Uh, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. That still doesn't get it right. Let me just kind of pull this apart because this is really interesting. They had followed and now they sensed God's guidance and there's nothing more exciting than to know God's leading. Hello? Have you ever been in a place in your life where you knew so clearly that God was leading that you thought everybody were dummy for not getting on board with what you wanted done? I mean sometimes I'm just let me give you a personal. Sometimes when I feel like God is leading me and i start talking to preachers or church members or fellow believers, it doesn't matter, and I feel like I'm talking to a wall. Because God's planted this in my heart and I'm trying to share it, and everybody's my wife will look at me like a calf looking at a new gate and say, Have you lost your mind? You see, the truth is, when we connect with what God really wants us to do and where God wants us to to go, excitement follows. When you're delighted, that means you're excited about what God is doing. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Let's break that down just a little bit because the truth is the Greek language tends to tell us that they were so excited that you couldn't express it in words. There are words in that... A Greek text like mega. Boy, that's huge. Exceeding. That's beyond what you can imagine. And then it says here, overjoyed beyond measure. Basically, here's what it says. It says that they were so excited, so overjoyed, so delighted that they couldn't put it into words. And they certainly couldn't linguistically translate it into English that we could understand because it was so emotional. However, are we really, are you really? This isn't to shame you or hurt you. This is for you to ask between you and God. Do you really get excited about God guiding your life? Oh, yeah, Brother Jerry. I mean, we're here among people, among other believers. Yeah, Brother Jerry. What if if God wanted you to do something you didn't want to do? What if he wanted you to go somewhere you didn't want to go? What if he wanted you to say something that you didn't want to say? What if he wanted you to forgive somebody you didn't want to forgive? What if he wanted you to give something that you didn't want to give? You see, our Lord has a way of purifying us and taking the sin out of our lives and taking the selfishness out of our lives. The call of Christmas is to trust in God's guiding, to believe in God's guiding, to follow God's guiding because you know why? Because just like the wise men, you will never, you will never find God's gift until you follow his guiding, which is the second thing that I see that they were delighted in. Not only were they delighted in God's guiding, they they were delighted in God's gift. They saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure, and it led them to the house because it says entering the house. You will never discover God's gift. Please listen. You will never discover God's gift until you decide to follow God's guiding. Because when we we follow God's guiding, it always leads to God's gift. Because in him, all roads lead to Jesus. The truth is, the truth is, we can come to church. We can work in ministry. We can give our lives to being perfect attenders. We can give our lives to being perfect workers, but until we find Jesus in our hearts, until we discover this Christ child, until we discover that he's the one that came to forgive sin, he's the one that came to release us from our past, he's the one that came to turn our lives around, He's the only in him can we find true life and abundant life and escape the horrors of hell and enjoy the hope of heaven until we come to... God's gift in Jesus. Huh. We're going to miss the call and we'll be highly disappointed. You see, folks, there's a call going out to us today. The call is, and for some of us, it could be the call to salvation, the call to faith, the call to Jesus. Because you see, outside of Jesus, you walk out that door, get in your car, and driving out of the parking lot and you're taken to heaven because someone broadsides you, and you're outside of Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to frighten you. Maybe I should be trying to frighten you. But you will not ever make heaven absent Jesus. And that little tug in your heart, if you're, if you're sitting here and sensing God's Spirit working in you, saying, I'm the one He's talking to, that little tug in your heart, that's the Holy Spirit. Because you see, God will begin your journey for you and then He allows you to make that next step. And if you never make that next step. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says God will not always strive with men. One day you might not ever feel it. You may never feel the tug. You may not ever get another opportunity. To trust Christ. You never get another opportunity. To be delighted. And that God has guided you to his gift. So you can find his grace. God is speaking to you today. Let me give you a little personal confection before I move on. As a young man, as a young minister, I never really enjoyed. I will say I never really sought God. In fact, I would seek a lot of other things, but I wouldn't seek Him. Didn't really care to talk about Him. Didn't really want to study His Word. Oh, I'd read it for enough just to get me by. Even memorize it just a little bit to get me by. But I didn't really seek the Lord. I didn't really desire to walk in Him. Certainly didn't want to talk with anybody about Him. But you know what the truth is? Is one day when you really get your heart and you get Him in your heart and your heart in Him, all of a sudden life changes. All of a sudden He's not just a byword. All of a sudden He's not just a slang word. All of a sudden He's your life word. All of a sudden, that every time you want to exhibit a bad attitude, he's there. All of a sudden, when you want to say something horrendous, he's there. All of a sudden, when you're faced with a decision, he's there. In fact, you know, I want to challenge you to go home today, and I want you to mark January 9th on your calendar. That's a Sunday. You know, normally I do the state of the, of the church address on the first Sunday of the year. I'm going to move it to the ninth this year. Instead of it being the state of the church, I'm going to ask this question. What is the state of the church? I hope you'll be here. You see, if we're not delighted in God's gift, if we're not delighted in God's guidance, We're not ever going to be delighted in God. Oh, if I finish my story, I'll tell you how I was. I was in it for me. I would never have said that. I was in it for me. May I just suggest to you that if God has not become centerpiece in your heart through Christ Jesus... You're in it for you. Oh, you can decorate it. You can camouflage it. But down in the deep recesses of your heart, where you rarely go, you know. And even if you don't, God does. And God doesn't grade on the curve. For God is black and white. I encourage you to look back over the last week of your life. Two weeks. How did you spend your holiday? Where did God fit into your picture of your life? Friday we had a ministry, and I'm looking for them over oh, there in the back. I may even let them give a little report on, a, on the ministry on Friday. And what I will say to you is that those are the type of things that we give ourselves to because we give ourselves to him and he'll take them and he'll bless them. Just a cup of cold water. The wise men gave themselves and they gave themselves so completely to him that they were so determined to follow God's gift that they were delighted in his guiding and when they arrived there, their hearts... Complete, and that's the third call that I see here today that is to be devoted to be devoted. You know we're all devoted to something we don't like the word <laughs> we're all devoted to something. We're in Alabama and I'll just say uh congratulations to the Tigers. Auburn won. SEC probably will win, or a good chance win the national championship. Congratulations, Auburn Tigers. But here's what I ask us. If we were to look across, if we were to look across the uh, membership roles on the computer of this church, are we more devoted to our football teams or are we more devoted? to God. And some of us don't even like that analogy. Brother Jerry, keep football out of it. Well, how can I? The Bible says you have no other gods before you, before him. And when we put more emphasis, it doesn't matter whether it's football, baseball, basketball, soccer, hockey, tennis, work, family. When we put anything before God, all of a sudden, we have violated the first, probably the second commandment and That puts us in uh, on very shaky turf with our father. What are you devoted to? What is it in your life that would evoke a change of schedule, like these guys had? Oh, brother Jerry, well, I'd like to, I, I, I'd like to be involved, but you just don't know. I, I tell you what, it reminds me of. It reminds me, forgive me, Van reminds me of those two old, old fishermen out on the water, fishing on Sunday morning. And as they're fishing, the first one says, you know what, it's Sunday morning. I feel real guilty. We shouldn't be out here fishing. We should be in the Lord's house. And the fisherman on the other end is throwing his rod and reel. Really he said, oh, that's okay. I couldn't go in my, my wife's homesick in bed. You know, isn't it interesting that we find every excuse not to be faithful to the Lord? And we find every way to do whatever it is that we're devoted to. These guys were so devoted. I I just want to give you two snippets and we're done. Two snippets of what I see of how they were devoted. First of all, first of all, they bowed down and they worshiped him. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Falling to their knees, it says, verse 11, they worshiped him. Let me just make everybody mad just for a second. Just get angry. We have such a skewed view of worship today. We have a horrendous view of worship today. We have a pagan view of worship today. A couple years ago, I said, I'm getting so frustrated with our concept of worship that I'm ready to not have any music. You'd be surprised. Some of the emails you'll invoke if you suggest taking away our baby. Do you realize that we can worship and never sing a note of music? In fact, in fact, one of the things that bothers me so much is music's become such a distraction when it should be such an offering. Listen, do you worship. I'll give you just a couple of couple of pictures of worship. I'm not high enough to do it so everybody can see it. But you know what worship was in the Old Old and New Testament? It's taking your forehead and putting your forehead to the ground in honor and awe and reverence of somebody else. And that would be God. And you know what the truth is? We're Americans. We never had to bow down to anybody. And we're certainly not going to start Now, over in the countries in the Far East, they bow down to kings each and every day. And they understand it. Well, Brother Jerry, I got you there. I'm old. I got bad back. I got bad bones. And I can't get down like that. Well, don't tell me. Tell him. You see, because I think it has more to do in your heart than it does your physical capacity. Would you if you could? And if He can, do you? How long has it been since you bowed your face? Bowed on your face toward Him? You see, when you bow on your face and you touch your forehead to the ground, you're defenseless. You depend on the one you're bowing to. You depend on their mercy. You depend on their grace. That's what giving our lives to Christ is about. That's what the call of Christmas is about. That's what being devoted to Him is about bowing down, worshiping. You saw me do this one time to one of our teenage girls. I got her up here and I got on a knee and I kissed her hand. That's what it's like kissing hand. Let me give you a snippet that most of you dog lovers really love. You got that little mud? I'm sorry. You got that little dog that either sits in your chair or sits on the floor and you put your hand right by their mouth and they just lick your hand. And that is their expression. It's a nasty expression. But that's their expression of love to you. Here's what I'll say to you. That's exactly what worship is. Licking the hand of a gracious God. Who, by all right, has a right to send us to a place called hell. Because we chose sin. We live in sin. And when we become too prideful and arrogant to realize... To, Uh, Recognize, admit that we're sinners and turn from that sin and turn to Him. When we don't do that, He has every right to sentence us to a place called hell. They bowed down and worshiped Him. The second thing they did, they offered Him gifts. They offered Him gifts. couple of things about these, they call them gifts and treasures. When I think of a treasure, I think of something that you just, you know, it's one of those things in your house like, don't, you can look, but don't touch. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This was my grandmother's grandmother's grandmother's. Don't touch it. Because it's priceless. These gifts that the, that the wise men that the kings brought to Jesus, gold, frankincense, myrrh. You can make an argument they were preparing him for death because myrrh is one of those spices that's used at burial. But here's what I want to tell you. They didn't bring second-handed things. They brought the best they had. After Katrina, I was amazed. There was so much overflow of love and expressions of Wanting to help for for those of us on the coast, but those on the coast who were not impacted, we opened our church building to be a store. We put clothes across the pews, so people could come in just pick out the clothes. We had our fellowship hall. we had probably one hundred and fifty thousand dollar worth of groceries to go through there in just a few weeks. But I was amazed at how many people took the occasion to go into their closet and get everything that they didn't want and it was torn up to come and offer it. And we wound up carrying off about three or four truckloads of things because the folks who were not in that area, when they sent things in, they didn't send secondhand things. They sent their best because it was a people in need. And here's what I'll tell you. God saw us a people in need He saw us after the fall in the garden. He promised us a Savior. He promised us someone who would come and deliver us. And he gave his absolute best. And these wise men brought their absolute best. They not only gave them, they opened them. Here's the question. The best you can give to Jesus to begin with is your heart. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Here's what the scripture says, that whoever believes in him, whoever, that's the words of Jesus, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. I think it's Max Lucado that said this, God comes to you and he makes the journey. But the last step is yours the call to you is to come to him will you make that step let's pray together